You know, growing up, me and my family, we didn't go on a lot of vacations. You know, some of you go on a vacation every summer. That wasn't our style. But when we did go on vacation, we would go to this glorious place. I mean, it was like the most beautiful place on planet Earth for, you know, your middle Tennessee class family. Panama City Beach. How many have ever been to Panama City Beach? Okay, like, is that your family spot? Because that's my family spot. And so all the haters, we can pray for you. Um, But, you know, growing up and, and not going to the beach and then going to the beach, it's funny how now as I'm older and I'm married and we're going to the beach in August, how when I think through the lens of a vacation to the beach, I know and recognize that how good my vacation goes is going to be determined by my circumstances. What I mean by that is if if the circumstances are amazing and the sun's out and the guns are out, I think it's like a t-shirt now, if if the sun's out, if the ocean's beautiful and it's not raining and it's not storming, it's like, oh, that was a good vacation, right? But no one in the right mind at the end of the vacation, if it stormed and rained and like all week, no one's going, oh, that was the greatest vacation ever. Why? It's because when you picture vacation on the beach, right? You picture perfect circumstances. Like you, you picture like the sun out. You picture getting tan. Like, you know, I, I'm so jealous of you people. I just like get more red. And, and the longer I'm there, the more I look like a ketchup bottle. Like, like it's just, it's just the, you know, the, the, the burden that I have to bear. Um, but it's just like, I love the beach. But as I was in First Peter this week, I started realizing that a lot of that thinking actually applies sometimes in our spiritual context. And what I mean by that is like, When life is good, when the bills are getting paid, when the bank account is full, when we're dating someone we like or we're working a job that we love, aren't we the most faithful people on all planet Earth? Oh, you need someone to serve in church? I'll do it. It's like God is the most faithful, right? It's like God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good, right? But the questions that I've been wrestling this week as I've been in this text, is who are we as Christians when we're standing in the middle of the storms of life? What is the posture of our heart towards God when the storms of life are no longer rolling in, but they're currently here, and as we look around at life, it looks nothing like we thought it would, and none of it makes any sense. Are we people who shake our fists at God God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't allow this to happen. God, if you were as good as you say that you are, you would take this away. You know, in James chapter one, it's just a letter written in the Bible by a guy named James who happens to be the brother of Jesus. And I'm paraphrasing here, but the teaching is right there in the chapter. And as I say this, I want you to know, even as the words leave my lips, this wasn't like, a, oh, this will be real good. Like, it was really hard for me to receive and swallow. But James says that those whose faith is determined by their circumstances, those people are unstable in all of their ways. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty strong language, unstable in all of their ways. Now, for me, when I leave here, my heart is for all of us, and my hope is that we would all kind of be on the same page, is this idea that the one thing that describes our faith, we would hope that it would be stable, that all throughout this life, no matter where we, at, where we are or where we're at, like that we would be stable. 
You know, I believe that when we jump into the text in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 6, I believe you're going to see three movements. And I believe if we just apply these movements to our life, we'll actually see stability happen in our faith, especially when we're standing in the middle of the storms. I see Peter inviting us in. And the invitation that I see in the text, the first movement, especially if you like to take notes, we're going to see three movements in the text. The first movement, I believe, is that in the middle of the storms, that we've got to be people who are refined by the fire, not defined by it. The second movement that I think we're going to see in the text is, is that in the middle of the storm, we've got to be people who keep worshiping and praising and loving Jesus. And then the third movement that we're going to see in the text that I believe today is that in the middle of the storm, we cannot forget that we need each other. Look with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, page 828, if you're using one of our Bibles. Peter says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. Well, that's kind of an interesting thought. Peter said, hey, in the middle of your storm, greatly rejoice. And it's like, rejoice in what? Well, if you've been tracking with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of, you know, of God and, and this present hope and living hope. But I just encourage you, First Peter's not long, but go home this week, like, like read it on your own. But Peter's saying rejoice. And the question is like, rejoice in what? Well, I believe the first five verses, like he gives us some insight to that. He says, rejoice that God loves you. Rejoice that the Holy Spirit that God is working in your life. Rejoice in the present hope that Christ is with you now and rejoice in the future hope that one day you'll get to live in the same neighborhood as God. Peter is saying rejoice in the middle of the storm. Look back to the text in verse six. He says, in all of this greatly rejoice. He says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I don't know if you noticed there, but it didn't say, hey, forever you're going to have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He actually says right there in the text, he says, for a little while. Now, why is that important? I think it's important because in a sense, Peter's trying to communicate to the people who are reading this letter that he's written that every storm eventually runs out of rain. And I need you to hear me like abundantly clear this morning that all throughout the scriptures, we see a God in heaven who is reaching down to touch people's lives in the middle of the storm when nothing around them makes sense. We see God meeting people in the valley. What we would say common day language is the rock bottom, the lowest moments in our life. And we see God reaching down like touching them, pouring out his love and journeying with them back to the mountain. And I need everyone to hear me this morning. Like before we jump into verse seven and before we really start to talk about this idea of being refined by the fire and not defined by it in the middle of the storms. Like I need everyone to hear me say this. Like wherever you are on your journey, I want you to know that God loves you. You go, Chris, you don't know what I did last night. I come in here and I'm a sinful person. Listen to me. God is passionately in love with you. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you think you're going. But God is passionately in love with you. 
You might not want him to, but for the rest of your life, until you take your final breath, God is never going to stop pursuing your heart. And this is the God that we're meeting here this morning. This is the God that we've been singing about. And this is the God that meets us in the middle of the storm. I don't know about you, but for me, a big part of my early faith journey was just, I pictured God in the middle of my struggles or in the middle of my storms, in the middle of my trials as being a distant God. And yet the closer I've grown to him, it's actually totally the opposite. Is that in the middle of our storms, God isn't in the distance going, I didn't see this happen. I didn't see this coming. Like he is right there with you. He's the one with the the umbrella. He's the one that has the extra raincoat like he loves you. And so this morning, we're not talking about a God who says, oh, they're in the middle of the storms. I'm going to pull away. No, we see a God who is right there with us. So look back to the text in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 7. We'll start talking through this idea of being refined by the fire and not defined by it. He said, these have come, some of the trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, just for a moment, I want to talk about why Peter would use gold as an analogy here. Now, believe it or not, some of you who don't know me might be surprised, but for the ones that do know me, this is not going to come as a shocker to them, but I used to have the flyest gold chain in all the world. And at the beginning of the 21st century, there was a great theologian by the name of Jibs, and he asked a question that everyone couldn't stop talking about. Does your chain hang low? Does it wobble to the floor? Does it shine? You guys give me, all right, we have fun in church. And the answer to that was, yes, indeed, Jibs, my chain does hang low. You know, once I moved beyond my gold chain phase, one day I was posted up at a red light, 20 years old. My dad had, you know, he's not giving me money anymore, and maybe some of your parents still do, but at that point, I'm just broken 20 and single and ready to mingle. So I got a gold chain, and I see this guy at a red light, and he's flipping the sign up, and I'm like, man, that is very impressive. Like, he's catching, he's doing all these tricks, but on the sign, it says, we buy gold. And I have this, like, light bulb moment. I'm like, dude, I'm going to sell my gold chain. So I go home, and something you need to know about my gold chain is on it, it said 14K, which means 14 carats for those who don't know. So in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm about to, I'm, I'm about to you know, the bank account's going to grow. I'm like, give me my money. So I roll into this place, and I come in with this gold chain, and I kid you not, in the middle of me debating, you know, one hustler to another hustler is my perception, you know, I'm trying to like get the most money out of this chain. He looks at me, and, and he breaks my heart, and he says, hey, He says, this is as close as you can get to a real gold chain, but it's not actually really a gold chain. Now, at that moment, we begin to have what we call heated fellowship. And I start to like like really debate with him, someone who sits every day and determines what is gold and what's not gold. And and at the end, he's like, hey, I'm not going to argue with you. If you really want to find out if it's gold, let's test it. And at that moment, I, you know, I'm like, grab my gold chain. I'm like, my grandma gave me this chain and I take it. I'm defeated. Peter, why would you use a reference to gold chains? Because Peter is saying 
that when you put gold in the fire, that's when the blemishes fall away and you find out if it's really gold. And in other words, he's saying, if you really want to find out if it's gold, you put it in the fire. Well, what's interesting to me is my chain said 14K on it. It looked like gold. It seemed like it was real gold. I even, you know, told uh, people, this is my gold chain. And yet the guy said, hey, let's, let's, let's test it. And at that moment, I go, man, maybe it's not real. And it turns out if it would have tested it, it would have found it wasn't real. You know, a couple months ago before the Pred straight ripped our hearts out, <laughs> I uh, became a newlywed and I'm like negotiating, like hard negotiating, trying to convince my wife to buy this super expensive hockey jersey. Scoresburg for the ones who are Preds fans. And uh, so... The negotiations did not go well. And so I thought, well, what's next? And so I had to hook up. I, you know, I know some people who know some people who hang out in China through this app. And I'm like, man, I'm going to buy this jersey from China for $27, Predator's jersey. It comes in the mail, and I'm super pumped about it. I like get it. I'm like, it looks like the real deal. Like, I don't have to tell anybody. I'm like, this is the stuff. I put it on. I'm like, man, it fits. This is amazing. $27. Well, that night there was a, a game. And so wife gets home from work, and we're getting you know, ready. I throw my Preds jersey on, and then she throws on a Predator's jersey that she already had before marriage. So you know the negotiation, because I would have used that, but couldn't. And we're sitting there, and when I put my jersey on, and then she, I know, I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm looking at this jersey, and I'm like, dude, everyone can tell it's a knockoff. It's like different color, the logo's a little off, piano in the back doesn't even look, I mean, it's inside the collar, but you know, as a guy, you want to be fly, especially for your wife. How many of us know that this world is spiritually exhausted, guys, by being around Christians who the spiritual substance of their life and their relationship with Christ is nothing but fake gold chains and knockoff predator jerseys. I don't know if you know this, but if you've been on Twitter lately, or Facebook, or watched the news, I mean, this world is falling apart. And for us to sit in here each week and to believe this is truth and then to go and sit on it, unstable in all their ways. Whether you know it or not, one of the most powerful ways to show the world that Jesus is King is to remain faithful to God when those storm clouds of life seem as if they're never gonna run out of rain, and when everything around us seems as if it doesn't make sense. Peter's saying, this is the invitation. Will you be refined in the fire, not defined by it? Will you look more like Jesus when that storm runs out of rain? You know, there's moments where I can look back on my life and maybe some of you relate, maybe you can't, but there's moments I look back on my life and when, there goes my water, I don't need it. You can keep it. I only took a sip so you can have the rest. <laughs> but there's moments in my life where in those moments it was really hard to see the hand of God. There was moments in my life when the rain seemed as if it was never gonna end and this was just gonna be the final chapter 
of my story. You know, I think specifically back to being age 18, I was a brand new Christian. And that was a season of life where my mom decided to choose drugs over me and my three brothers and the rest of our family. She turned her back, she left, she was gone. And I can't lie, it was like, where are you at? Lord, I just started this journey. Like, are you good? Are you faithful? Where's your hand? You fast forward seven years and I haven't talked to her. I haven't spoken to her. I don't even know where she's at. She'd been in and out of jail from drug possession to selling drugs to prostitution. Fast forward seven years, and I don't know if you were paying attention at the beginning, but I really love the beach, and I had an opportunity to speak at this youth event in Destin, Florida. It's like, I was like, oh yeah, I like my toes in the water, butt in the sand, not a worry in the world, LaCroix in my hand, right? It's a Christian drink. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, is, where is he going with that? Y'all weren't, is it too early for the remix? So I go down to the beach a day early. And that morning, I'm, I'm walking down the beach. Now when I walk down the beach, it looks like uh, Baywatch, the dad bod version, but I'm walking down the beach and I'm praying and I'm seeking and I'm wearing, I got my headphones in and I'm, and I'm asking God, would you, would you work in my heart? Would you prepare my heart for, to speak into this next generation's life? And, and I'm asking God, I'm, God, I'm going, God, would you, would you show me like what's holding me back? from being like a better future pastor, a, a better future husband, a better future dad, a better follower of Jesus, a better friend. Like, would you, would you show me now? I'm not trying to push this on you. I'm just telling you as clear as day, I heard the Lord say, today you're gonna be delivered. Now I'm like, delivered from what? You can't just give me half seas there, God. I'm like, you gotta give me the whole thing. Later that day, I am trying to get tan, but getting burnt, and there's a lady, an older lady, sitting on a towel not too far from me. We begin to talk about Jesus, and she says to me, she goes, I don't know if you believe in spiritual gifts. She said, but when, when I'm praying for someone, my gift, God allows me to see what's holding them back. She said, it's kind of like a deliverer. Now, I'm telling you, it was like a Scooby-Doo moment. I'm like, like, she's like what? I'm like, man, I was like, no way. She's like, can I pray for you? And I said, yeah. In the middle of her praying, she just stops. And she goes, God just showed me that you've never forgiven your mom. Now I'm looking at this lady like, I don't know what kind of drugs you're on. No, I'm just kidding. But it was like this moment. I'm like, she says, amen. I go back to sitting on the beach. I'm like wrecked by the Holy Spirit. Like Holy Spirit's like really pressing in. I'm really pressing back. Like I'm like, not for me. So Friday night rolls around, I gotta go preach to these youth. So Friday, Saturday morning, and Saturday night, I'm preaching three different messages. And guess what the messages are on? Forgiveness and grace and how no one is beyond the reach of the hand of God. It was an amazing weekend. Kids got wrecked by the Lord. It was just so cool watching kids come to Jesus. So Sunday night rolls around. It's my last night. I'm hanging out in Destin, Florida with one of my buddies from college. I'm about to fly out the next morning. And... One of the notifications that I get on my phone is I have a friend request. And guess who the friend request is from? It's from my mom. 
Now, <laughs> I don't know if you caught the first part, but I was like, not today, Jesus. I'm like pushing it away. I'm like not going to do it. I get home Monday, can't stop thinking about it. Don't sleep well much on uh, that night. Tuesday night rolls around and I go to church. And guess what the message was about that night? It was about forgiveness. Couldn't sleep again all night because the Holy Spirit's going, you gotta, you gotta do this. You gotta, you gotta forgive, you gotta forgive. And that next morning, I sent her a Facebook message and I accepted her friend request. And just in that message, I said, hey, I want you to know that I love you. But more importantly, I want you to know that God loves you. I said, I want you to go read this passage in Luke 15. I, I shared the story of the prodigal son. And if you don't know the prodigal son, it's about a story who, about a guy who turns his back on his family. And when he comes home, the whole family throws a party and celebrates that he's home. And I said, hey, if you'll do this, if you'll just come home, I said, we'll throw a party and we'll celebrate. You know, you fast forward five more years, she still hasn't come home. But there's something different inside of me now. Because that storm is no longer defining me. It is now refining me. And this is the invitation from God that when we as followers of Jesus look around and life doesn't make sense and it doesn't look like what we thought it would be and, and, and the storm feels like it's never going to run out of rain, will we be people who stay faithful to God and come out looking more like Christ when that storm runs out of rain? Like This is the invitation today. You look back to the text, and I, I want us to see, this is going to kind of begin to be the second movement that we'll see uh, in the text. And I, just in the middle of the storms, how we should keep loving and keep believing and keep worshiping Jesus. Look, look to verse 8 with me if you're, if you're following along. Peter says, though you have not seen him, he's saying, even though you didn't walk face to face with Jesus, he says you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. He said, even though the second coming isn't taking place right now, you believe in him. And he says, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, I don't know about you, but like I read that this past week and my thought was, man, what a beautiful picture, but also what a powerful challenge. Thinking about these people and he's celebrating his brothers and sisters in Christ because in the middle of the storm, they keep worshiping and praising and staying faithful to God. And I'm going, how in the world could these people continue to declare that God is bigger than their fires, their trials, and anything that this life can throw at them? And then it hit me. I'm like, oh, it's because they actually believe that Jesus keeps his word. They actually believe that Jesus resurrected. You see, because Jesus resurrected and conquered death, guys, I don't know if you know this, but like when you say yes to following Jesus, that literally means that when you take your last breath, that you, you get to live in the same cul-de-sac as God. Like that's, that's amazing. And I believe with all my heart that this is what launched these people. It's like, oh, life doesn't make sense. That's okay because nothing in this life compares to what's next. And as we begin to have this conversation about the afterlife, I just want to be fair because we live in a world that has many worldviews. You could go all over this planet and you'll find different teachings about the afterlife. But I believe all teachings fall into three views. The first view is this view that this life is it, this is the end. 
So when you die, this is it, like nothing more. The second view is one of, it's kind of, I call it like a circular view in the sense that you're, you're born again or you're born, you die, then you're born again. And then you're born, you die, and then you're born again. This is a cycle that, you know, stays. And then the last view is that you view this life as the beginning. And when you view this life as the beginning, then you go, oh, there's actually something that lasts beyond this life. Now, hear me say this. Some of us who claim to follow Jesus, we really need to wrestle with the fact, do we actually believe that Jesus resurrected? Because if we actually believe that there's something beyond this life, it should fundamentally transform the way we live today. And so regardless of the different worldviews that everyone carries in here, I just want to kind of just share some of the things that Jesus offers those that believe in him. Now, I don't feel the need to acknowledge from here because this is a Christian church and we go by the Bible that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Like, don't have to, I shouldn't have to say that. Like, that's what we believe here. But I also want you to know, if you don't believe that, I want you to know that you can stay as long as you want and sit in these great, comfortable white chairs and be a part of our community as you search on your spiritual journey. We will not, I promise, we will not treat you any different. But this is some of the things that Jesus offers to those that follow him that last beyond this life. You know, think about John 3, 16. Think about that glorious day that Tim Tebow made it famous when he put it on his eyes. It's like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, no resume, whoever, whoever believes shall have eternal life. Whoa, you telling me I get to live forever? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So when I die, that's not it? No, just the beginning. Briefly, a minute ago, we talked about the brokenness of this world. It's like, you don't believe in the world's broken. Just drive around Nashville and roll down your window and look hard enough. It won't take you very long. Get on Facebook today. I'm in a season of life where I feel like I'm losing people I went to school with from drugs and overdose. It's like, we live in a broken world. And one of the things that Jesus promises, now in a world full of promise makers and promise breakers, sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our mind around a God who keeps his promises. But he's a promise maker and a promise keeper. Matter of fact, he's never broken a promise. And he says, one day at my second coming, when I come again, all of the brokenness that you see around you, I'm going to redeem it and I'm going to make it new. You go, wow, that sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, that's something God promises. But here's the greatest gift. Jesus says, if you'll follow me, one day you get to live in the same neighborhood as God. I just imagine God like loading up the U-Haul, moving in, like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. Share the same zip code, live in the same cul-de-sac with God. It's amazing. So back to the question, how could these people continue to declare that God is good when everything around them didn't make sense and probably... <laughs> And their nine to five coworkers are going, aren't you going to curse God? Like, whoa, like if God's so good. 
And yet they stay faithful because they knew that no matter what storm of life that they would ever experience, it was never strong enough and never big enough and never like, 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 like huge enough to be able to snatch away the promises that God has given his kids. That one day, no matter what they face, that when they take their last breath and they step into eternity, that they get to step into that, into that inheritance that Jesus promises. So we look back to the text, and I promise we're about to land here. First Peter chapter six and seven, we just read it. We read verse eight. I want to encourage you to go read First Peter this week on your own. It's, it's, it's honestly not a long book. It's very powerful. It'll encourage you. If you come up with questions, ask big, ask tough questions. But my last thought that I wanted to work through through the text, we're not actually going to read it today, but if you'll go back First Peter chapter one and just read verse one, you'll, you'll see that that Peter isn't writing to an individual. He's writing to a group of people. And that brings me to my last point, that in the storms of life, we cannot forget that we need each other. And I think it's very important to take note that Peter isn't writing to an individual. He's writing to a group of people. Because once again, we just see God putting an emphasis on community. You know, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he is always teaching us even when we do not know that he is. There's this moment in Luke chapter 23. At this point in Jesus's ministry, he has reached the point where he is literally about to die on the cross. As a matter of fact, his back has literally been ripped open from lashes He's had a thorn-covered crown pressed down on his head. You could imagine like this summer, some of you are going to sweat. And it's going to get in your eyes and how it burns. Imagine like adding blood. I mean, he has literally physically been beat down. And at this point in Luke 23, a part of his journey uh, of bearing this cross so that all of humanity can live in the same neighborhood as God one day, we see where the Roman soldiers are actually making him carry his cross, what I would say is the finish line of why he came in the first place. And just imagine with me, just Jesus picking up his cross, but he's so broken and physically exhausted that as he's carrying this cross, he continues to drop it. So he carries it, then he drops it. He carries it, then he drops it. He carries it, and then he drops it. And then we reach a point where the Romans probably are so frustrated that he can no longer carry his cross. They point to some random guy who's like watching, and they go, hey, you, which his name was Simon from Cyrene, and they pick him and say, hey, help him come carry his cross. Now, I don't know if you know this, but as I'm reading that text and as I'm thinking through that lens, especially in the idea of being in storms, I just imagine that it would have been very possible for Jesus being fully God and fully human to have called down angels from heaven and nobody even see the angels to help him carry his cross to the finish line. It makes sense to me logically that, that Jesus being fully God and fully human, that he could have tapped into the fully God part of himself he gave him an extra burst of energy or extra strength to be able to take that cross and carry it to the finish line. But isn't it amazing, church, that even when we don't know he's trying to teach us, he's always teaching. Because what I think Jesus is trying to communicate to us, and if we as a church community could just get it, wrap our minds around it, our church community would profoundly begin to change. That in the middle of the storm, that sometimes it takes two to carry a cross. 
And I don't know what ideology has infiltrated our churches, especially in the South, this idea that it's heroic to go through the storms of life all alone. Like that is a lie from hell. God has not created you nor I to ever experience anything in this life alone. You know, this week, somewhere in Middle Tennessee, a doctor is going to walk into a room and he's going to tell somebody who we would say is our neighbors. He's going to say, you've got cancer and it's terminal. We got people in our church, young families, some who have been doing it for a long time trying to get pregnant and the doctor keeps saying, hey, you, you, you can't get pregnant. And yet everyone around them just continues to have babies. We have some in Middle Tennessee that this week that they're gonna begin the process of divorce. It started with an I do and now it ends with signing some papers. This week, we're gonna see kids in some aspect experience the brokenness and the confusion as they journey between two homes. And this week, somewhere in Middle Tennessee, someone is gonna walk up to a casket. And they're gonna say goodbye to somebody that they love. They're gonna hear a preacher preach about their life. And then they'll watch their friend get put in the ground six feet. Now, I could go on and on about all the storms that are currently happening right down the road. I would even say in a crowd this big, there's a lot of people here who are experiencing storms. And I really need you to hear me say this. God never created any of us to go through storms alone. You know, as we wrap up here in a few seconds, I'm gonna pray, and as we pray, we're gonna go to tables that have been set up around the room, and we're gonna take this thing called communion. It's the bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. You're gonna take the cup that represents the blood of Jesus, and it's a time of celebrating not only what God has done, but also like celebrating what, what is to come. And my, my ask this morning as a church is that as we jump back into worship and as we take the, the communion, that we just gather with two or three people around us, the people that you've come with, and just start to pray for those in our church who feel all alone, as if no one understands and as if they have no one in their community. But I also want to say to those that come in here this morning, And if someone was to, like, if you were to describe your life right now and you go, I mean, I just feel alone. I feel like no one understands. I feel like no one can grasp their mind about what I'm going through. I feel like no one can relate. I want you to know that if you feel all alone this morning, I'm begging you this morning. Over my left shoulder is a respond banner. The church that I found myself early on my faith, it, like it seemed to me that anytime you went and asked for prayers, it was when you like totally jacked your life up. That's not, that's not our style here. We believe that prayer changes things, that prayer shifts things. I didn't share this at the nine o'clock, but I want to share this. There was a time in my life 
where I remember looking to God and feeling all alone, especially in the aspect of community. And I remember going, God, if you do not send me people who are passionately in love with Jesus, I'm going to have a really hard time figuring this out. And it wasn't until I began to pray that prayer every day that God began to put people around me who really love Jesus. And he answers that prayer. But hear me out. Don't believe the lie that it's just going to happen. Like, you got to make it happen. But if you feel all alone this morning, I just encourage you, go to the respond banner. You don't have to tell us the story if you don't want to. You don't have to give us the details if you don't want to. But just go and say, hey, I feel alone. I need community. I need, I need help. And let us pray for you. You guys want to go ahead and stand? I'm going to say a prayer and then we'll, we'll go to the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Father, I, I love you so much. And I know, God, that when you're doing something on the inside and you're calling us to step out in faith, I know our tendency is to grab the chair in front of us and white knuckle it, to come up with every excuse of why we don't need to go ask for prayer or to to come up with every excuse to, to not confess to the people around us that we feel alone. God, I pray, Lord, that supernaturally this morning, that even as we continue to sing, as we continue to worship, Lord, that your spirit would move, that it would open eyes and shift hearts. God, I, I pray, Lord, right now that, that there's people who you've set together strategically who don't even know that they're gonna become best friends, God, that you would make that happen as they like together gather around and say, I feel alone. That person goes, I feel alone too. And God, that they would begin to journey spiritually together. I pray God that our church would begin to be a place where as soon as the service is over, that we would buck the trend in the church world, that as soon as it's over, we head and we're rushing, but that it's a place where we go, no, I'm gonna stay because this is family. I'm gonna hang out because this is family. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would minister to hearts. I pray, Lord, for the person in this room that's going, is Jesus even real? I pray, Lord, that as they take that bread, that you would open their eyes. That they would see you, Jesus. Sermons can't make people see Jesus. Only you can, Jesus. God, open people's eyes this morning. Show them that you're the God that's close, not the God who's distant. Show them that you're the God who wraps their, your arms around them, Lord, when they're hurting. Show them that you're the God who is always there. Father, move this morning. Pray for Luke 15 parties, God. We... We pray it all, God. Just whatever you want to do, just move. I love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and make your way to the tables.